grab your copy of God's word and go to Psalm 82, man. What an amazing time of worship and what a beautiful thing to see these parents come on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday to see them come. Not to brag on those babies because there's a lot to brag about, amen. But to brag on God for what he's done and what he's gifted them and what a stewardship that is. So praise God. What a good time to be together as the family of God here at Collinsville First Baptist Church. Now, when I say the name Auschwitz, most folks think of death because the city of Auschwitz, Poland, was home not only to the largest Nazi concentration camp back in the 1940s in terms of landmass, but it was also the Nazi concentration camp that had the largest death toll. Now, here's a picture of the famous main gate leading in to Auschwitz. You see the word, that phrase there, worked out in, in, in metalwork there. Albeit machfrei. Albeit machfrei, which is to say work makes one free or work sets you free. You see, it was a deceptive slogan designed to give those who were entering in that labor camp, hope, that if they would just work hard and do what they were told to do, that they would be set free. 1.3 million people would be housed behind that gate and behind those walls there at Auschwitz. But most didn't enter in through that gate. Most of them would enter through the train gate. And here's a picture of the train gate. They would be transported in boxcars, bunched in as tightly as they could be packed along those train uh, tracks. And of those 1.3 million people who would be housed behind those walls, 1.1 million of them would die by shooting, hanging, gassing, or starving. Now, of course, while... Auschwitz is the most famous and infamous, and we should say, place of death operated by the Nazis. It was just part of the death machine, the, the larger death machine under that regime. Under that regime. By the time the Nazis were defeated, they had put to death an estimated, check this out, 11 million people. Now, we typically think of the Jewish Holocaust under the Nazi regi regime, and, and the Jewish people at six million deaths did make up the majority of those killed by Nazis. But there were also an estimated five million more made up of the physically handicapped, the mentally handicapped, homosexuals, the Roma people, which we typically have heard called gypsies over the years, Poles, the Slavic peoples and other Slavic peoples along with the Poles there, Jehovah's Witnesses, and anybody who dared to oppose the Nazis politically. All 11 million of these people were labeled by the Nazis as Leben zu Huertes, Leben, Leben zu Huertes, Leben, which means life unworthy of life. They had no right to live according to the Nazi regime. And so they were summarily executed. 
summarily executed. When we hear these words, our, our minds, they, they swirl with confusion and, and disbelief and, and sorrow. I mean, how in the world could anybody be so heartless and so wicked as to put to death 11 million people? I mean, those Nazis must have been some wicked people. Yet consider this. There is a Holocaust, a mass slaughter of people that is very active and prolific right here in our nation. We hear that 11 million people died under the Nazi regime back in the 1930s and 40s, but here in America, check this out, over 63 million people have been put to death over the last 50 years. And where is this happening? Right there in a mother's womb in abortion clinics across America. Beloved, there is a holocaust of babies. The most recent year on record at this point is 2020. They always lag behind a year or two. And here in America that year, nearly one million babies were electively aborted. That's almost an Auschwitz in 2020 right here in America but spread the scope wider to encompass the whole world and that number astronomically balloons it's estimated that every year around the world 73 million babies are electively aborted that's 73 Auschwitzes every year on planet earth these babies have essentially been labeled by the creeping culture of death. Laban sin muertes, Laban. Life unworthy of life. And beloved, I want to declare to you this morning that this breaks God's heart. And so today on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we want to stand against this Holocaust as we continue in our series after God's own heart. And we take today as our text, Psalm 82, verse three and four. Psalm 82, verse three and four. And here's what it says. I wanna invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. God's word says this. These are instructions for you and for me. It says there, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray. So Father, we come today and although there has been so much beauty already in this worship gathering. God, we are turning our attention to something that is not beautiful. But our goal is not to dwell on the ugliness, Lord, but to point people to the glories that are in God, the beauty that is found in God, the beauty that is found in life. That precious gift, God, that you've given us. And so, Father, would you come and speak to us? Father, I, I want to pray even right now, Lord. I want to pray for that person who's already kind of on the edge right now. I, I've put them on edge even bringing up this topic and maybe that's because 
abortion has had an impact in their life personally in some form or fashion. Father, I want to come alongside them. I want to be compassionate. I want to be sensitive to that. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit would comfort and, and be with them as we speak on this topic, Lord. And I pray at no point today does a person under the sound of my voice feel condemned, but instead would see the hope that is found through the restoration of Jesus Christ. Not just for those sinners outside the walls, but for these sinners who are inside these walls. Father, you are good. You are good. And I pray that even today through a message like this, Lord, you would use it to spark salvation, but also to spark a generation that's rising up, Lord, that they would stand for life. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen and amen. So today's takeaway is this. To be a church after God's own heart, we must stand up for human life against the creeping culture of death. We must stand up for life. If we're gonna be a, God, if we're gonna be a church after God's own heart. And so today, I, as I look at the text and think about this topic, I, I wanna point you to five actions that'll help us do that. And the first action is this, is to recognize our calling from God to advocate for the vulnerable among us. Recognize our calling from God to advocate for the vulnerable among us. That is a clear calling from Psalm 82. Give justice to the weak, it says. The fatherless maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. These labels that we see here in Psalm 82 could apply to lots of different segments of our society right now in 2023. But I want to say to you this morning, they certainly apply to the preborn child that is among us. Beloved, that child is a human being. Yes, they're, they're smaller than us. Yes, they're less developed than us. Yes, they may be inside another human being. And yes, they may be more dependent than us. But that doesn't change who they are. They're a human being. And if they could scream out, they would tell you that. And as a human being, they have a right to life. They have done nothing to forfeit their life and to electively take their life let's just be honest here this morning I, I don't say this again to condemn we want to speak biblically about what the Bible speaks to to electively take their life is murder they are weak among us they are those that we are to give justice and to rescue. They are afflicted among us whom we're to maintain rights for. They are the vulnerable among us whom we're, who we're to deliver from the hand of the wicked. And we cannot, church, stand idly by, silently by. In fact, God commands us, Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor. 
and the needy. Again, we could advocate for a lot of groups, but on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we will stand and use our voices for the preborn. We must recognize our calling from God to advocate for the vulnerable among us. Second, this morning, to be a church after God's own heart who stands up for human life against the creeping culture of death, we must see that all human life is precious. Beloved, there is no such thing as Laban Suertes Laban. Every life is worthy of life. Why? You, you have to understand, it, a Christian worldview tells us this. The world, an atheistic worldview, will tell you it's dog eat dog. Eat or be eaten, kill or be killed. But God says in his word that every life is worthy of life and every life is precious. Why? Because every single human life is made in the image of God. We read this in Genesis 1. 26 and 27, all the way back in the beginning in the creation of the world, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Beloved, we bear the image of God. The Imago Dei in Latin. And that's, no, that's not so much what we have, but rather what we are. Pastor John Piper has one of the best explanations I've read as to what it means to be made in the image of God. He said, historically, people have said things like our morality. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Our morality, our sense of right and wrong, or our rationality, our ability to reason, or our spirituality, our ability to relate to God, or our aesthetic sense. I mean, you don't find too many monkeys creating a Mona Lisa, he said. Or our judicial sense. The whole legal system that we've created, a sense of right and wrong, justice and injustice. He goes on to say, and I think frankly that all of these are true and aspects of what it means to be in God's image. But the simplest thing, he continues, the plainest thing, and in fact, for me, the most practical thing and the way it has an effect, an actual effect on my life is to say images are created to image. God created us in his image so that we would display or reflect or communicate who he is, how great he is and what he is like. Here's the picture in my mind he Concludes, I was created like a mirror. To be made in the image of God is to be made like a mirror. That when people see us, they see God reflected back. 
his glory, his goodness, his being, and all the things that is who God is. And so every time a human life is wickedly attacked and wickedly taken, it's like taking a mirror and smashing it with a rock so that it shatters and falls to the ground. All human life is precious. In fact, theologian Wayne Gruden, he, Wayne Gruden, he wrote, every single human being, no matter how much the image of God is marred by sin or illness or weakness or age or any other disability, still has the status of being in God's image and therefore must be treated with the dignity and respect that is due to God's image bearer. As we're to respect God, we're to respect his image bearers. In fact, I would argue this morning that the first and foremost human right, the fountainhead from which all other human rights flow is the right to life. Listen, if, if we're not granted the right to life, then how can we enjoy the, the right of liberty? And how can we enjoy the, 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 the right to pursue happiness? You see, when the right to life is taken away, our basic humanity is taken away. So beloved, we must see that all human life is precious. To go along with that truth, then third, to be a church after God's own heart who stands up for human life against a creeping culture of death, we must realize that God is actively working in the conception of every life. He is actively working in the conception of every life. Listen, no child is conceived by accident from God's perspective. Yet humans involved may not have meant to. But God ordained the birth of that child. You see this over and over again in the word of God. Currently, I'm reading through the Old Testament here in 2023. We're in Genesis. Of course, you know, it's January, so you begin in, in Genesis. And the thing that has just struck me over and over again is that God gets credit for the conception of children. We see God credited with opening the womb of Sarah so that she and Abraham might conceive Isaac. And God is credited with opening the womb of Rebekah so that she and Isaac might conceive Jacob and Esau. And God is credited with opening the womb of Leah so that she and Jacob might bear six children. And not only did he open Leah's womb, but he closed Rachel's womb so that she and Jacob could not bear children. And then he opened Bilhah's and Zilpah's womb so that they and Jacob might conceive children as well. And then finally, after Jacob had 10 kids by three wives, we won't even get into that part. <laughs> Stay with me, focus on what we're talking about here. God opened Rachel's womb so that she and Jacob might have two children. And soon thereafter, God would change Jacob's name to Israel. 
and all 12 of his sons would become the figureheads of the 12 tribes of Israel. But in all of these births, who has given credit for the conception of these children? God is. And I say to you, that's not just the patriarchs. It's true of every conception. Every child conceived has been ordained by the purpose of God. He's actively working in the conception of every life. Yes, there are situations where a child is conceived by the absolute wicked purposes of men and women. But don't you ever, ever forget that what man means for evil, God means for good, amen? God means it for good. Every child that's conceived is conceived with the good purposes of God in mind. That baby was ordained by God. And not only is God active in the conception, he's also, the Bible tells us, he's active in the development of that life. You know this passage well, but the description of God's activity in the womb is so beautiful. It's, it's so true. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, says this. Beloved, this is talking about you. It's talking about your children. It's talking about your grandchildren. It's talking about the neighbor down the road and their children. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So beloved, that baby in the womb is God's handiwork. And you have to realize that God is actively working in the conception of every life. Fourth this morning, to be a church after God's own heart who stands up for human life against a creeping culture of death, we must bust the myths of the pro-life movement. And man, there are many. Let me hit you with just six of them. Probably the most proliferated myth is it's just a clump of cells. Uh, um, no, it's not. Now, that argument worked 40 years ago. Right? When, when I was coming up, when I, when I was in my mama's belly, she had no idea if I was a boy or a girl. She did, I mean, there was just no ultrasound. But today we have imaging technology, and praise God we do, that allows us to see inside that shroud of the womb I want you to see that this morning. Young people, you may have never seen this before. I want you to see this. I want these images to burn in your heart and your mind to know what is actually in the womb. And it is not just a clump of cells. Here is a picture of a four-week baby. You say, man, that looks weird. That looks alien. 
And it kind of does, but that baby right there is developing structures that will eventually form the face and neck. Do you see those structures? The heart and blood vessels continue to develop. The lungs and the stomach and the liver start to develop. A, a home pregnancy test would show positive. And just a couple more weeks, the baby's heart will begin to beat the electrical impulses that will one day make that heart beat begin to pulse. At eight weeks, the next picture, eyelids are forming, ears are forming. You can see the tip of the nose, the arms, the legs, they're well formed. The fingers and toes grow longer and more distinct. At 12 weeks, the next picture, at 12 weeks, and that one may even be 16 weeks, but the baby's eyes, they begin to blink, the heart and the blood vessels, they're fully formed. The, again, the baby's fingers and, and toes have fingerprints. At 20 weeks, at 20 weeks, the baby weighs about 10 ounces, a little more than six inches long. The baby can suck its thumb, it can yawn, it can stretch, it can make faces. And soon, that mother who's carrying that baby will experience what the old timers called the quickening. When they would first begin to feel that baby move. Oh, I felt it move. I felt that butterfly in my stomach, it felt like. At 24 weeks, check out this picture. That baby weighs about 1.4 pounds now, responds to sounds by moving or increasing their pulse. You may notice jerking motions in their, uh, if they hiccup, their inner ears fully developed. The baby has to be able to sense being upside down in the womb. I remember with Elizabeth, our third child, it was just part of the, 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 the prenatal package to get that 3D imaging just like that. And I remember Christy and I looking at that 3D image and saying, oh my goodness, she looks just like Elijah, our second child. I mean, you could see the family resemblance through that 3D image. It was uncanny. At 28 weeks, the next picture, the baby weighs about two pounds six ounces changes in position at this point begin to happen 32 weeks the baby weighs almost four pounds and is moving around often the baby's skin has fewer wrinkles as layer of fat starts to form under the skin between now and the delivery your baby will gain up to half their birth weight and then 36 weeks 36 weeks. On average, a baby at this stage is about 18 and a half inches long, weighs about six pounds. The brain's fully developed. Lungs are nearly fully developed. The head is usually positioned down, ready for birth. And then 40 weeks, boom. <laughs> Welcome to the world, right? Praise God, man. Isn't that awesome? I tell you what, I had never, ever in my life seen the birth of a baby until Zachariah was born and it changed my life <laughs> and I remember just weeping just weeping I couldn't believe what God had done I couldn't believe it what a marvelous 
thing that God does in the creation of children. Guys, it is marvelous. It's marvelous. There are a lot of things that could be said about a baby at every moment of development, but listen to me. One thing that can't be said is it's just a clump of cells. The second myth is this one. It's not a baby. It's a fetus. Some people prefer that word, fetus. Maybe even your biology textbook, young folks, you'll read that word. Or, or if you go to the doctor, they may even use that word. But here's the deal. The word fetus obfuscates or hides what's really in the womb. When you use that word, it sounds alien. It sounds medical. It sounds other than human. But here's just a little tip. <laughs> fetus is actually Latin, basically for the word baby. That's what it means. But they choose to use a different word so that it doesn't sound like a baby. Here's a third myth that we often hear. Particularly a baby that's, that's about to be born into a tough situation. They'll say things like this, or, or maybe the child has a disability. You'll hear, you'll hear people say things like this. It's better for them to have died instead of enduring a tough life. And I want to say to you this morning, guys, no life is easy, amen? No life is easy, especially if they have disabilities. But listen, we are not the givers of life. Therefore, we are not to be the takers of life. And plus, I don't know about you, but I don't have the ability to see the future. I have no idea what kind of life that child will live. I have no idea what that child will experience, but I'll say this, life is good. And I'm thankful that my mama chose as a teenage mother to give birth to me, right? And I wanna do unto others as I would have them do unto me. And if I would want to be born, I, I wanna see other people be born. We cannot see the future. We should never assume what sort of life a child will have. That child has a right to life. To be honest, if we were to be honest, actually what we mean there is oftentimes when people say that is I don't want to have hardship in life. The children are not easy. I'm going to just be real. Children are not easy. But nothing in life is easy. Here's another myth that we hear. Number four, you only care about babies and not the mother. If you guys really were loving, you'd worry about that mother more than that baby. But no, we care about mothers as well, especially their souls. Again, elective abortion is sinful and we don't want them to have that guilt upon them. Plus, we want them to experience the joy of that child. So many mothers and fathers who consider abortion and decide against it are so glad that they did not kill their baby and so many mothers and fathers who did choose abortion are so sorrowful later in life that they did young person always remember this too shall pass and I know if you were in that moment you would feel overwhelmed you'd feel burdened 
Moms and dads, you maybe feel overwhelmed and burdened if that were to happen with your child. But that too shall pass. And there will be joy on the other side of that as that hardship is endured and God blesses. The beautiful thing is that for those who did choose to end their child's life in the womb, there is grace to cover that. There's grace to cover that. We don't go into it saying, oh, don't worry about it. God's grace will cover it. But I say to you on the other side of it, God's grace is sufficient to cover even that sin. Five, you may hear this. Here's the fifth myth. You only care about children while they're in the womb. If you really cared about children, you wouldn't just focus on them in their womb like you would focus on them once they're born and you would give their parents all of this government support and all of the stuff. You particularly hear this in political conversations. Like they need the big government handouts. And the truth is we want every person to succeed. We want every person to have what they need in life. We want, to not, we, 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 want, we want to not only help people, but we want to help people help themselves. And we just believe, or I guess I'll just speak for me here. I believe that the overarching long-term government handouts hurt more than they help. Amen. And so when, a, when we advocate against those sorts of things, it's not that we don't love that mama. We're saying, look, there's a better way. There's a better way to come alongside you and help you and to equip you to help yourself. Here's the sixth one that I'll end with. We could go on and on with these. And it's this one. You may have heard this past summer that the Supreme Court handed down a decision, the Dobbs versus Jackson, uh, uh, yeah, Dobbs, versus, uh, Dobbs v. Jackson, that, that Supreme Court decision uh, this past summer, which overturned the Roe v. Wade decision all the way back from 1973. And one of the myths is, is that abortion is now illegal in America. That's one of the myths. Here's the truth. All that that did, and we praise God that Roe v. Wade was overturned, but all that did was to now turn it back to the states. Okay? So there are places in America where abortion is illegal. But there are also lots of places where it's very legal. And not only that, but those states, for whatever reason, they're so given over to a culture of death that they're paying for women in other states to fly in and fathers to fly in to kill their baby in their state or they'll drive up and, and take a mobile abortion unit on the, on, the, on the state line so that that mother could just cross over that line there and have an abortion in that state. And so while amazing things have been done in the progress of the pro-life movement, there is still work to be done. And so beloved, all of these myths, we have to bust them as we stand for life. Here's the final thing this morning I wanna encourage you in. As we as a church who's after God's own heart, as we stand up for human life against that creeping culture of death, the final thing I want to encourage you to do this morning is to support pro-life causes. And you know where that begins? 
That begins in your home. That begins in our church. I can't tell you how many times over the course of my marriage, when I walk up and someone, hey, good to meet you. What's your name? Oh, I'm Ben. Hey, I'm so-and-so. Uh, how many kids you got? And you begin to, well, I have five. Oh, five. Wow. <laughs> Don't you know what causes that? And my favorite response is, no, nah, could you draw me a picture? I mean, just help me out. I, you know, that's one of my favorites. But it begins with a culture that says children are a gift. Children are a gift. They are a reward. Guys, that, that's biblical. That's biblical. Psalm 127, three through five says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb. Listen to this, a reward. Mamas, daddies, listen to this. Young folks, listen to this. Children are a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who's, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Beloved, we need some mamas and daddies who grasp the dominion aspect of what God has done in the creation of man and woman to take the earth and to raise up not just babies, but man, fill up that quiver. Again, I'm not saying to pass judgment on anybody, but I'm encouraging you. Put, put your fertility under the hand of God. Don't just say, well, I only want and say that number. Here's what I encourage you with every child. God, would you have me to have another one? God, would you have me to have another one? And Christy and I, as we prayed that over the course of our marriage, he said, yeah, I want you to have another one. And then after number five, clearly we heard from the Lord. I mean, seriously, as we prayed about it, God said, that's enough for you guys. How many children should you have? As many as the Lord leads you to have. That's the freedom and the joy that's found in Christ. That's the liberty that we have in Christ. Follow God in that. Follow God in that. So I encourage you, to create a culture where children is seen as a blessing. Man, baby showers ought to be blowouts. You know what I'm saying? Right? We should, every time that that new baby comes up here for baby recognition, when, when it's their first trip to, the, to our worship service, man, that should be awesome. We should be praising God. And when we have baby dedication like we had today, we rejoice in the name of Jesus, beloved. We are having three baby dedications this year. We're going to have one in January. We're going to have one in May. We're going to have one in September. And every one of them, we're going to stand and we're going to praise God for what he's done in the life of this church, blessing us with children but also as you support pro-life causes think about the work of crisis uh, of crisis pregnancy centers i'm so thankful that in our community the center for pregnancy choices so thankful for them and what they do last year listen to this last year's a church last year's a church we gave fifteen thousand dollars to that ministry hey praise god 
through your gifts and through budgeted lines, we gave $15,000 to that ministry. And this year, the stewardship team and I, along with you as the church, we increased our budget funding of that organization by 150%. We took it from 1,200 to 3,000. So consider the work there, not just giving, but supporting physically. But also consider adoption. Man, what a pro-life cause adoption is. And I'm so thankful for those of us who've come around the Sullivan family as they work. And man, it's been tough work, but they're getting there to adopting their son overseas. We're thankful for the Sullivans. And we're so thankful for the Browns as they right now are holding their new baby. We praise God for that as they have adopted that baby boy into their family. Next Sunday, we as a church family are going to give a benevolence offer to the Browns to help support them in the expenses of the adoption of their baby boy who was just born. Consider fostering. Man, what a way to be a pro-life to say that there is no child who is a throwaway child. Every child deserves a home. And what better place to do that is a Christian home. Consider fostering. And even standing, listen, not just beginning of life things, but consider end of life things. Consider standing against euthanasia. That's a growing thing where people are electing to be put to death medically. We're seeing this in Canada especially, guys. You hear things across the border. Canada, Canada has lost its mind. Why? Because it's gotten far from Scripture. And now when you call them with a problem, they say, yeah, we could probably help you with that. But you know, life is so tough. It might be a good time to just go ahead and die. No, seriously. That is now standard counseling that medical professionals in Canada are being led to say to their patients absolutely insane that's what I mean by a creeping culture of death guys it's growing and sometimes what's across the border up there comes across down here of course there are already pockets where euthanasia is available here in America but finally, I would say this, support pro-life causes by just being the church. Come alongside those mamas, come alongside those daddies, especially those who might be tempted to take their life, uh, take the life of their preborn child. You don't gotta do it through the church, just be the church right where you are. And God will bless that. Support pro-life causes. Beloved, I pray that we would be a church after God's own heart who stands up for human life against that creeping culture of death. This past October, Pastor Paul and Pastor David and Pastor JJ and I, we loaded up and we went over to Jackson for the Mississippi Baptist Convention in October there. And it was my first one. And Paul had a meeting that he had to go to, but, but JJ and David and I, we had some free time to go grab some lunch, and so they found this really cool and really good burger joint. 
there uh, downtown Jackson called Roosters. And we went through the line and it was crowded inside, but they had seating out on the street where you could sit and look out across the street there. And man, when they brought them burgers out, oh my goodness, they were so good looking. Man, they were good. And as we were sitting there eating and looking at those burgers, I can't remember if it was JJ or if it was David. I think it was David. But we looked up and across the street, we saw something way more beautiful than those burgers. Here's what we saw. Check out this picture. That was, I took that right there, sitting, eating my burger at Rooster's. What is that? That is the Jackson, Jackson Women's Health Organization. That right there, y'all, is the last abortion clinic in the state of Mississippi. And I don't know if you can tell it or not, but the doors are boarded shut. Praise God. The doors are boarded shut. God is doing a big thing. And I say, man, one of the things that, 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 that excites me is to see how young people, middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, are picking up the mantle of the pro-life movement and they are marching and they are advocating and they are saying, we will be a generation that will not stand for death in our land. We will stand for life. And I'm so thankful for the veterans <laughs> who went before them, amen, who have advocated and given and prayed and voted and all of those things. But as a church who's seeking to be after God's own heart. Here's my final prayer this morning. May the culture of death be overcome by the culture of life through the church of Christ.